So have you ever had somebody break it down for you? Everybody had somebody break it down for you. You know, that means take this, this difficult thing and break it down in a way that it's easier to understand. It's, it's easier to comprehend. There's a story told of some theology students that were playing a little pickup basketball game at a local high school gym one night. The janitor from the high school was still at the gym and, and they noticed that he was sitting over by the door of the gym and he was sitting in a chair and he was reading a Bible. So they went over and said, hey, well, you know, what are you reading? The janitor said, well, I'm, I'm reading the book of Revelation. Theology students, they thought, hey, we'll help this guy out. We have some insights. You know, we'll, we'll try to help him walk through that. They're like, hey, do you, do you know what that book's about? I mean, do you know what it means? The janitor said, yeah, I know what it's about. It means that Jesus Christ is going to win. That's it. That's how you break something down. You know, how many times do you say, well, I want to study on the book of Revelation because I don't understand it. There you go. It's one line. Jesus Christ is going to win. That janitor broke it down. Now, the deeper truth in that is this, that it's not just that Jesus is going to win. It's that Jesus has already won. Jesus has already won. So what? <laughs> what does that victory have to do with your life today? We're coming off a week of, of Thanksgiving and anxiety coming off a week where there's been sickness and health a week where there's been triumphs and tragedies a week where there's been births and deaths so in all the things that are happening in life on this somewhat normal holiday week what is it about the victory of Jesus Christ that matters in your life right now why does this truth that Jesus has won, what does it have to do with you right now? Well, let's see if we can find out. Around 60 AD, the Apostle Paul was writing a letter to the church known as the Colossian Church. And this is what he said to them beginning in Colossians 2, verse 15. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities. What's Paul describing here? Well, He's describing what God has done through Jesus Christ. And the description he gives is that God has disarmed the rulers and authorities. So, does that mean that, that Jesus, he, he won some big runoff election against a, a popular incumbent? Does it mean that, that Jesus had a military coup and, and he overthrew the government? No. What it means is that God disarmed the rulers and authorities and those rulers and authorities are Satan, the enemy and all of his evil agents. That's who got disarmed through Jesus. Now, somebody might say you gotta be kidding me, man. Satan, the devil evil agents, come on. Do you really believe all that mumbo jumbo? Let me ask you a question. Do you believe there's evil in the world you believe there's evil in the world and if you do do you really believe that evil comes from having too much caffeine playing too many video games do you really think evil comes from too much fake news or from spots on someone's genetic code 
The Bible says that when we see evil in the world, that because the very nature and character of Satan and his evil agents is evil, that evil is being stirred and spread by the enemy. Paul says on the cross that that Jesus disarmed those evil agents. And not just disarmed them, but he shut down their agenda. He disarmed their agenda. And what's their agenda? John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus put it this way. The thief, the enemy, Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. As we noted last week, the enemy and his evil agents are not here to scare you, to kick you, and to distract you. Their desire, their hunger, their passion is to steal, kill, and destroy. This is what someone might say, well, that still sounds like a bunch of hippy-dippy baloney to me. All this stuff about the devil. Well, listen, I will agree that the character in red, the monster with the horns and the long tail that runs through town setting things on fire, that is not how the Bible tells us to think about the devil. The Bible says that the devil is a deceiver. He is an accuser. So before we think of the comic book character, we should think of the reality that the scariest and most dangerous thing that Satan is doing in your life right now is telling you lies about God and you're believing him. And so am I. C.S. Lewis in the preface to his book, The Screwtape Letters, he said this is our way of, of admiring Satan. He put it this way. To admire Satan, then, is to give one's vote not only for a work of misery, but also for a work of lies and propaganda, of wishful thinking, of incessant autobiography. Yet the choice is possible. Hardly a day passes without some slight movement towards it in each one of us. The lies, the deception. The accusations. I mean, think about just those three words. Lies, propaganda, and incessant autobiography. Does that sound like anything we deal with today? You take every theological, religious, political, medical, holiday conflict that's out there today, and you take the two sides, we'll take the main two sides of whatever those conflicts may be, and every single one of those sides is saying what about the other sides? Oh, they're just spreading lies and propaganda. Every side says that about every other side. And it only takes about 0.78 seconds to scroll through social media and see that we are all obsessed with incessant autobiography. We post everything about our lives, right? I mean, I'm trying to do a little better about being on social media, but ah, you know what I've learned? I've learned that if I post a picture that I'm not in, nobody cares. Have you noticed that? If you're not in it, nobody cares. They ain't gonna like you. They just wanna see you. It's amazing. You post a picture of your turkey dinner, nobody cares. You stick your face in that picture and they'll like it. It's amazing. We, we want to see each other. We post everything, right? We post pictures of our food, our, our clothes, our pets, our home repair projects. We, we post pictures of our parents and grandparents and their hospital gowns at the hospital. You know, we, we post pictures of, of everything that we can possibly find. We even post pictures of our bellies after Thanksgiving, right? 
That might be me. Sorry. I'll make sure I'm... We good? All right. If it goes back out. It's because I said something about bellies. That's why I went out. Look, there's nothing wrong or evil about us posting these pictures. It's, it's fine. Although nobody wants to see your belly, all right? Just, you know, forget that one. But it seems that we've become a culture and a society that, that we need the world to see what we're doing. We, we have this autobiography that, that we can't wait to let the world know what we're doing. And it's not necessarily evil, but it does beg the question. Have we gotten to a point that the reason we want the world to see so much of us and our kids and our family and our food is because in our creative character, who we are, we've lost our dignity. I was listening to a podcast this week and and this was the phrase that was made. There is no conditional dignity with God. There's no conditional dignity with God. You you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You have immediate dignity with God. And it is unconditional. That's why as believers, we we strive for the, the sanctity of life. Because that baby in the womb has unconditional dignity with God. It's why we strive to affirm a child that is born with a disability because that child is born with unconditional dignity from God. It's why we strive to make a big deal out of how life began, how the world began, the the creation of man, the creation of woman. Because your unique incredibility, I'm pretty sure I made that word up, your unique incredibility is full of unconditional conditional dignity from God. You have immediate dignity with God. You have been fearfully and wonderfully made and nothing can change that. However, our culture is placing impossible conditions on your dignity. It's it's demanding that you stick with something or you adapt or you evolve or you change. It it won't allow you to be who you are. You have to adjust yourself around thousands of identity fads. Things that are either not natural or forbidden or didn't exist a hundred years ago and won't exist a hundred years from now. God does not place those impossible conditions on your dignity. Your dignity with God is unconditional. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, exclamation point. But Satan, the enemy, the deceiver, the accuser, he does everything he can to to pull us away from that. He deceives us, he accuses us, he makes us walk away mentally from who God is and who we are. And what that does is it creates an entire network of lies and we start to listen to those lies. We start to believe those lies. And what we try to do is we try to create and and recreate and maintain these identities at home and work and and school and, and in relationships and in sports and everywhere else. And those identities will never be reached, will never be able to do enough. And those identities will never satisfy us either. In fact, what they'll do 
is we chase after those things and what it does, it creates in us this demanding spirit, this restless, demanding spirit where we never have enough. I think it's tempting for those of us over the age of 50 to say, oh, I'm not there yet. Hang on, I got a few months. My wife doesn't. She's older than me. She's got just a few weeks. Um, Soon, for those of us over the age of 50, we have this thing where it's always the younger people that are restless. It's always the younger people that that aren't getting what they want. They want instant gratification. I'm going to tell you what. You sit at a breakfast joint and they don't have fresh coffee made, you're going to see people over the age of 70 with some instant gratification problems, right? We, We all have it. We're all guilty. We're all guilty of that demanding spirit and it's because we have lost our dignity with God. We have forgotten this unconditional dignity that we have with God. Someone has said this, that if Satan can do anything to distract you and deceive you about God and Jesus, then he will mess up everything because that will cause you to perish and that is his goal. It's what he's doing, it's what he's after. The greatest work of the enemy in your life is is not some poster of some red monster. No, it is the way he deceives your emotions, your attitude, spiritually, physically, practically, how he pulls you away from your dignity and your identity in Christ. That's his goal. Paul said this to the folks at Ephesus, Ephesians 6, 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood it feels like it though right i mean thursday afternoon you know when the food wasn't ready yet you know the struggle was against flesh and blood it felt that way but it's not paul says our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the powers against the world forces of this darkness you see our war is ultimately a war with non-earthly powers non earthly forces and those powers and those forces are being directly fed by satan and his evil agents someone put it this way very few people think that satan is a much worse enemy than communism or militant islam or that the conflict is not restricted to any one global theater but it's in every town and every city in the world or that the casualties do not merely lose an arm or an eye or an earthly life but they lose everything even their own soul and enter a hell of everlasting torment we're at war it it will never be peacetime ever there will never be peacetime until Jesus returns. It'll never happen. We are always at war because the enemy is always active. However, as believers, as we struggle and we war with evil, as we war with the enemy in all of his ways, we must remember that the promise of God is this, that they have been disarmed. That ultimately, they will not win because they have not won Jesus took the bite out of their bark he took the power out of their punch and how do we know this look at the next part of verse 15 he made a public display of them in ancient times when the Roman army would have a victory over a a country or a nation or a people they would throw a huge Christmas parade 
They would have all the prisoners and they would chain the prisoners up. And the prisoners would be the first part of the parade. Then, then after the prisoners would be the, the kings and the queens and the presidents and the generals. All the people who were in charge of the defeated people, they would come next. And then came the Roman army and all of their pomp and circumstance. It was a public spectacle. They mocked and embarrassed the people that they defeated. And Paul uses that description, that language, to talk about how Jesus has defeated the enemy. That's the language that Paul uses. That's what he says. He says, look, Satan did not get a slap on the wrist. No, Satan got an eternal, embarrassing, crushing defeat. A defeat that you can't come back from. How do we know that? Look at the next part of verse 15. He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. God through the death of Jesus on the cross, delivered the crushing blow to Satan. He didn't get up and and stagger. He didn't get up at all. He was down for the count, completely down. Now we might say, well, hang on. I thought you said that Satan was active in the world. I thought you said that he was doing evil things. Yeah, he is, but he knows he's already lost. Isn't it crazy? I mean, he is fighting a battle he knows he will lose, and yet he still fights. He was completely and eternally and totally knocked out. The old hymn says, I heard an old, old story about a Savior who came from glory. But it's not just an old, old story, is it? It's, it's a brand new story. I was listening this week to someone describe something that just happened during COVID, if you, if you haven't realized this, the glory of God was not dead during COVID. The church has not been dead during COVID. The gospel has not been dead during COVID. The world may have practically shut down, but God has not shut down, and the glory of Jesus has not shut down. Here's just one story of that. This couple in Colorado tuned into a live stream. They'd never done anything like it before. They tuned into a live stream. They heard the gospel preached that day. It was actually the pastor's first Sunday. And those people got saved. And three weeks later, he baptized them. And three weeks after their baptism, the husband was diagnosed with cancer. And three months later, he was dead. And the wife, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but the wife texted the pastor a few days after the funeral and just said this, I don't know what would have happened if we had not found Jesus. That during COVID. So please, please don't get your hope or all of your information from the news because the gospel is loud and clear and will always be loud and clear. And 10,000 years from now, that man will not be thinking about COVID. He'll be thinking about Christ. The glory of God in the face of Jesus is not an old, old story. It's a brand new story of a Savior that's coming to me every single day and saving me from sin. 
A Savior that's reminding me that as I fight my war with sin, that he has already ultimately defeated my enemy. A Savior that comes and reminds me that that my enemy has no bite. A Savior that reminds me and announces that he has publicly defeated my enemy. A Savior that reminds me that God has given me victory over sin and death in Jesus Christ. Paul told the folks at Rome what? He said, there is absolutely nothing. No person, no place, no thing, no circumstance, no headline, nothing that can separate us from the love of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate us from God. Nothing can separate us from God. This is the hope of our life. And here's why that matters to you right now. It's the only and greatest hope you can have. I don't know what your hope is this week. You know, maybe your hope is to, you know, shed a few pounds after that Thanksgiving meal, you know. Maybe your hope is that there'll be good news at the doctor or that work will go better or that school will go better or or you'll get a new car or you'll get a good offer on the house. I don't know what you're looking for this week, what kind of hope you're looking for, but the greatest hope you can have in this life is to know that Jesus won and his victory is yours. Not, Not just some story out there, but your victory. You see, to be a Christian means that no matter how dark things get, no matter how discouraging things get, you never cannot say this to yourself. Jesus has won. To be a Christian means that that when death seems to be working against the church inside and outside of the church, we can say to ourselves, Jesus has won. To be a Christian means that when it looks like evil is gaining the upper hand on the world through crime or poverty or greed or immorality, we can say to our souls, Jesus has won. And one day his victory will spread out over the entire universe and it will last forever. The victory will last forever. Jesus has won. This is our hope. But someone may say, well, that sounds like a fun little religious pep rally, but, but what do I do with it? What does it matter now? What, what do I do with the, the triumph and the victory of Jesus? I mean, we can't just read it and sing it and hear it preached and then go to the buffet and forget about it. There's got to be some response that we would have to this. Well, Paul gives us a response. Look at verse 16. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. This is an interesting response, right? Paul says, God has disarmed Satan and his evil agents through Jesus on the cross. And your response needs to be, don't let anyone intimidate you about the sufficiency of Christ. Don't let anyone convince you that Jesus Christ is not enough. Don't let anyone convince you that you have to find your identity or your dignity or your title or anything else in anything else or anyone else. Do not believe the lie from the enemy that you need something besides Jesus. And dear friend, he is telling that lie over and over again and over again. Don't let anyone convince you that you need certain holidays or or certain religious observations or certain dietary laws for things 
Sorry. I used a little more hair product today. Maybe that's it. It's distracting. We're good. The Old Testament describes a pretty extensive network of laws and rules and instructions. And they were unbelievably good for the people of God. Why? Because it taught them the difference of what's pure and what's not pure. In other words, all of those laws that we see in the Old Testament, they help the people see that God is holy, holy, holy. And guess what? They help us see that God is holy, holy, holy. And they help the people see that if you're going to follow after God, you have to pursue a life of holiness. You have to run hard after God. That's the call of what it means to be a believer. Jesus shifted that into a higher gear. He shifted the external, outer law, and he began to look at the inner, internal realities. In Mark chapter 7, he said this, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts. Our rebellious sin against God, our rebellious sin against other people, does not come from our genetic code. It doesn't come from our environment. It doesn't come from our situations. Jesus says that sin comes from within. It comes from our heart. There's nowhere else for it to come. And so when someone says, well, if you'll just follow these dietary laws, if, if you'll just observe these holidays, if you'll just make sure that you're in church on Sunday, then it will clean everything up and take care of all of those problems. But that is not true. No matter how many laws you follow, no matter how many holidays you observe, no matter how many Sundays you're in church, none of those things can clean your heart. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can rescue and redeem your heart. So where's Paul going with this? Sorry, we have no idea what's happening, but we'll keep hanging in there. Verse 17, Paul says this, those things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. We spent Thanksgiving in Arkansas with my in-laws. I had a great time, loved my in-laws, loved being out in Little Rock, and and we left uh, yesterday morning, and and I stopped at Shipley's Donuts because I always stop at Shipley's Donuts or some donut shop, and uh, I got a, a dozen glazed donuts in a box, And then I got some breakfast burritos and some biscuits. And then I got a maple bacon donut and a chocolate covered donut. So all this food was, you know, in the back seat. And my son is divvying it up, you know, to everybody. And at some point he said, so dad, I'm just assuming uh, this side of donuts is yours. Isn't that a great phrase? A side of donuts. Uh, Yes, ma'am, I'll have the turkey meatloaf, the uh, mac and cheese, the butter beans, cornbread. And can I have a side of donuts with that? I mean, that's great. I love that. Here's the thing about a side, though, right? A side is not the main event. It's not the main course. It's, It's just a side. Listen, everything in the universe compared to Jesus is just Aside, or as Paul said it, it's just a. No clue. Oh, tell you what I'm gonna do. Huh? 
won't you? I'm, I'm just going to grab. Uh, I'm going to grab one. Red. Good. Sorry about that, y'all. No, hey, I'm not kidding about this. Y'all do understand. It's not Eddie and Robbie's fault. We, we really do understand. Satan hates for this church to have a sound system that works. I mean, I'm, seriously. I mean, he doesn't want anything to work right at church. It's, it's how he is. So he's purposely trying to distract us right now through technology. It happens. So, so we're going to hang in there. Paul says that everything is a shadow compared to Christ. What that means is this. It means that a shadow is not real, is it? It's not. It's, it's, it's a reflection, a dark reflection of something that is real. And so what Paul's doing is he's saying that God's salvation is not defined by religious shadows. It's not defined by shadows. It's defined by substance. It's defined by something that is real. God's salvation is ultimately defined by Jesus. Salvation does not depend on a person keeping a, a set of external rules. Salvation is defined by a person having an internal relationship with Jesus. So, do you have an internal relationship with Jesus? Is, is your life ultimately defined by your relationship with Jesus? Are you wrapped up in the unconditional dignity from God that ultimately finds its purpose and reality in Jesus? Or are you counting on other stuff to make you right with God? Or are you counting on church attendance to make things right with you and God? Are you counting on volunteering in the community or working hard at your job or, or having grandparents that, that follow God? Are you counting on those things to make you right with God? Are you counting on following some rules to make everything right 10,000 years from now in your life? Or are you trying to make sure, well, if I, I observe this holiday or observe this rule or if I don't eat pork chops, then, hey, everything's going to be right with me and God. Paul says those are shadows. He didn't want people to be confused. He didn't want them to be misled. So he made it very clear that they needed to embrace that Jesus Christ was the very substance of their salvation. Not any ceremonies, not any religious rules, not any holidays. Can I just say graciously that over the next four weeks, no matter how hard we try, there are a thousand things about Christmas that will pull us away from Jesus. A thousand good, noble things about the holidays that will pull us away from the dignity that we find and the identity that we find in Christ. Shadows, good shadows, but still shadows. Paul, so much wanted the people to not miss that Jesus is real. Part of what he's describing here is what we might call legalism or legalistic traditions. Now, there are old traditions and there are new traditions and there are great traditions and there are evil traditions in the world all over the place. 
So here's a, a strange way of, of trying to describe that and hopefully a, a helpful way for us to think about it. 20 years ago, a friend of mine was still in college. He um, was at a major university here in the South and he attended a, a weekly uh, meeting of a campus ministry. There are a few hundred college students at this meeting. And at this meeting, they had invited a local pastor to come and share with the students that night. And when the pastor got up, he had on a, a suit and tie. And he began his conversation. And, and as he began to, to kind of give his presentation, he kept taking a, a part of his outfit off. Now, let me just go ahead and say, he didn't end up naked on stage, all right? So just hang with me. So he took his tie off and he kind of threw it over on the ground. And then he kept talking. And then he, he took his sport coat off or the suit jacket off and he kind of threw it on the ground and he kept talking. And he took his dress shirt off and then he took his dress pants on and underneath he was wearing some super casual clothes. I mean, it was like jeans and a t-shirt. And ultimately what he said to the college students was this, hey, we'd love to have you come to our church. And I did all this just to let you know, we don't care what you wear, just come as you are. Now, I'm listening to this story from my young college friend at the time, and my jaw dropped, and here's why. Are you kidding me? You're standing in front of a group of college students. You got one shot to stir their passions toward the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And you're talking about suits and ties and jeans and skinny pants? Are you kidding me? Those are shadows. They will always be shadows. We need to focus on the substance. The substance is Jesus Christ. Friend, Jesus Christ is real. Jesus Christ is real. No matter what you've heard or what you may hear, no matter what happens with the pandemic or politics or your personal life, Jesus Christ is real. He's real. Oh, don't give me this handheld anymore. Golly, it's stirring me. Because Jesus is real, it means we should be listening different. We should be living different. We should be learning different. What are you doing with your one shot? What are you, what are you doing with your one shot right now? Are you overwhelmed with the darkness in the world? Are you ignoring the darkness in the world? Or, as we walk through this present darkness, are you living in the substance? Are you living in the reality? Here's the thing. Jesus Christ on the cross through his resurrection, through his ascension, and ultimately with his return, Jesus has disarmed the powers and the rulers and the authorities of darkness so that we could get out of the shadows and step into the light. So can we do that for the next few weeks and beyond? Can we get out of the shadows and step into the light? Because the light is where true life is.